Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventures, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released, and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you are able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. I think this is pretty cool because I know if there are times when I have to carry a bunch of stuff through the airport, when I have to yeah. try and get my purse or my other bag over like the arm thing for my rolling bag, you always have to like pray that it's not going to like go around the handle and then you end up like tripping over it <laughs> as you're like right. pulling it behind you. We are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD. One zero, or going to the link in our show notes. That's POD 10. DB, it's time to move on. Time to get going. The Oracle Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. We are recording much earlier than we normally do today. <laughs> so we're struggling a little bit. Yeah, I've only had like two sips of my coffee so far, and Maddie doesn't have any coffee. I don't have any coffee which I think is a crime in several states. Mm-hmm. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> it's our last, no, second to last birthday episode. No, because this comes out on the 25th. Yeah, so it'll be the first for the other yep. Wednesday. So this is the final birthday one. It's the final birthday. <laughs> We're so on point today. Wow. We are. <laughs> it's the final ish countdown for us today. Yeah. It might be final. We don't know yet. So, this one is a little bit shorter than we typically go just because I couldn't find a whole lot on the subject. You guys can blame me. I was the one that picked it out and forgot about it. (laughs) So I don't know what it is, but I'll take the blame. But it's okay, because we have a a question later that I think will require a little bit of thinking on our part. Oh, no. I was telling Maddie that I moved to my new office Mm -hmm. last night, and not everything is set up yet. I'll do like a MTV Cribs tour. One, it's all nice. I'll do that when I move. There you go. But I found this book that I knew I had, and I just forgot about it, called 501 Things You Should Have Learned About in History. So I thought I could end our episodes with a fun little fact about something in history. There you go. Until we run out of fun facts about history. (laughs) Right. That are before the 1900s. I was just going to say, yeah, I bet it's got... More than just before the 1900s. 
Yeah, it's got a lot of stuff. I should mark where we leave the 1800s. Well, we have 340 facts before we're going to be hitting the 20th century, so I think we're good. Awesome. <laughs> We've got a few. Forever. <laughs> got a few. All right, so today we're going to be discussing the seven gates of hell. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did pick that one. <laughs> I love how you forget. <laughs> I'm like a goldfish. But you're always so surprised, which is nice. I'm, I'm always surprised, yes. All right. So information was pulled from the following sources. The 2018 York Daily Record article by Jim McClure. 2017 Extraordinary Stories from an Ordinary Guy blog post by L-Dub. 2011 York Daily Record article by Jim McClure. He's a twofer. Atlas Obscura. Helm Township website, Myths, Mysteries, and Monsters podcast by E.L. Soto, Weird U.S. article by Marcus Malvern Jr., mm-hmm. and two articles from Wikipedia. Ooh, two articles. That's a twofer today. Easy there. So links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. In a wooded area off Trout Run Road in the northwestern section of Helm Township in York County, Pennsylvania, lies an area that's full of supposed paranormal activity. There is a legend that the township of Helm was named after Hell itself. However, this rumor has been debunked as the township was actually a mistranslation of the name Hallam after Hallamshire, England. Oh, okay. Hallam Township was incorporated in 1739 and today has a population of just over 6,000. So it's a pretty tiny place. Yeah. Hence the township aspect. Fair. The legend is believed to have started due to a couple of stone guardians located at the head of the trail, which is also known as Toad Road. Toad Road. I know. Toad That's Road. so cute. A man named Gary Duttery, who grew up in Hellam Township in the 1960s, is quoted as saying, quote, There were at one time two weathered stone abstract gargoyle-type objects that resembled toads or frogs located at the head of the trail. These creatures inspired the locals to give the place the name Toad Road. The hmm. gargoyles, or whatever they were, vanished in the early 1970s, I think. End quote. Hmm. And I'm like, who took them? Yeah. Where did you go? That's so sad. I know. Jim McClure interviewed Gary to get more information about the legend surrounding the Seven Gates. Gary explained that the gargoyle-esque objects at the head of the trail were known as grotesques, which are fantastic or mythical creatures that are used for decorative purposes, such as gargoyles on buildings. The difference with these is that they were a form of hybrid that resembled a toad. Gary explained, quote, as toad rhymed quite well with road, the grotesques likely became toads and the area they guarded unofficially became Toad Road. It just stuck. Nobody really knows how or why. Just about anyone who grew up in York in the 60s knew about Toad Road, but most likely never visited the spot or knew exactly where it was. Many heard bad things happened here, but what those bad things were depended on who was telling the story. End quote. Okay. This is where paranormal shit comes in. Yeah. In the 1800s, a massive insane asylum was located in the woods of York off what is now known as Trout Run Road. Because it was built in such a remote location, when it one day caught fire, the fire department had a hard time getting there to help with the flames. As a result, many of the patients burned to death in the building, while hundreds of others fled into the surrounding woods. 
And I read that this place had like four levels. So the people that were in okay. the top two levels burned to death because they couldn't get out fast enough. Got it. In regards mm. to the to the gates, the police and members of the search party were said to have constructed gates in the surrounding woods to try and prevent the patients who escaped from gaining access to the nearby town. Because they were awesome. it wasn't just insane people. It was like crazy criminals and stuff too that were sent there. Because why not? Right. Given the time period and how people who were put into mental asylums were treated, it probably won't surprise you when I tell you that when search parties were deployed to track down the escaped inmates, they were particularly aggressive to the point that they beat many of the ones they found into submission, even going so far as killing some of them. Wow. Yeah. As we've talked about in the past, asylums aren't happy places. No and tend to hold on to the sadness and pain that was felt there long after the patients themselves have passed on. Yeah. It might not surprise you to learn that the land has tons of psychic and paranormal activity, leading many to believe that the land itself is cursed. In an effort to protect people, York officials had seven gates constructed along hidden paths that led to the location of the now-defunct asylum. Oh, Okay. Many ghost hunters and thrill-seekers have never been able to locate the path and find the first gate, but for those that have come in contact with it, they all report feeling a sense of evil and death, a feeling that becomes overpowering once they reach the fifth gate. Apparitions are often seen along the path, accompanied by strange noises and screams. It's said that anyone who manages to make their way past the seventh gate will find themselves in the burnt-out remains of the asylum and at the mouth of a portal to hell itself. The story has been debunked as there was never an asylum on the land. Right. <laughs> I feel like it'd be pretty easy to debunk in general. Yeah. Like the fire. You don't see fire? You don't see the fiery pit to hell? Hmm. Strange. You don't hear a bunch of disembodied screams? Right. Soup's weird. Another version of the tale is that the seven gates were erected by a rather eccentric local doctor who constructed a very large gate at the front of his property to prevent trespassers. It's said that a series of gates beyond the first can be found along Toad Road that leads deep into the heart of the forest. Many believe that something truly evil exists at the end of the road past the seventh gate, but it is also said that anyone who manages to pass the fifth gate never returns. Those who search for the gates report shadowy figures who wander the woods, the scent of burning, and screams. Oh, that's comforting. Yeah. Although there is truth to a large gate being erected outside the property of the local doctor, there is only one main gate, and it was used to prevent trespassers, which seems a little extreme if you were the town doctor. Right. No one gets healthy on my watch. But, like, why is he also in the woods like that? I know. That's kind of creepy. I don't want to visit a doctor in the woods with a giant gate surrounding him. Yeah. Is there anybody else? (laughs) No. Is there a local witch doctor or... Healer? (laughs) An herbal healer? Anything. Another location that may be the true epicenter of the paranormal activity is a long-abandoned mansion off Sawmill Road in Downington near Valley Creek Road. There are stories of a pair of red cast iron gates that led to a mansion that was the unfortunate backdrop of a gruesome murder where the father committed familiacide. Mm. Also, red gates, that's a choice. 
Yeah, right? That would be hard to do. And even if they were iron, that doesn't really oxidize. Yeah. Yeah. The home was abandoned afterwards, and the bodies were supposedly buried on the grounds. The bullet holes were still left in the walls and doors. It's believed that over the years, this mansion has been the home of a number of paranormal activities, including cults, Satanists, and even the occasional mafia outlet. Outfit. (laughs) Outlet. It's an outlet mall for mafia. It's an outlet mall. Come check it out. Guns Mm -hmm. for 20% off. Right. Zoot suits. (laughs) Zoot suits. Regular suits. Boots. Ropes. Cement. (laughs) Ropes. Quick cement, quick drying cement. Yep. Other tales have been told claiming that the home is now a portal for angels that are falling from grace into the underworld. Oh. Yeah. It's like a vacuum that just like sucks them down. (laughs) This is where you go now. This is your home now. (gasps) How are those iron gates red? No one knows. No one knows. No one knows. If you visit the site today, the cast iron gate is no longer there, and chain link fences now surround the oldest properties in the area. Those brave enough to climb the chain link fences to explore where it's believed the original cast iron gate once stood return with tales of phantom lanterns glowing in the abandoned home. Nope. Illuminating furniture covered in layers of dust. Nope. I don't like it. No, thank you. Others claim to have been chased off by large, extremely real-looking dogs. Hellhounds. Yeah. Most likely. That's not a good sign. You don't want to see those. You don't want to see hellhounds. No. The truth behind the gates? There's supposedly only one that can be seen during the day. The rest only appear at night, existing on a plane where the paranormal can be accessed. But beware. If you pass through all seven, you'll find yourself entering hell itself with no way to escape. Comforting. Mm-hmm. It all starts with the chain link fence. Yeah. After that, they're all red cast iron. Right. And you're like, and you're so busy trying to figure out how they got the cast iron red that you're like, oh no, now I'm in hell. Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no. There's like those signs you see in cartoons. I'd turn back if I were you. Right. <laughs> exactly. Stop trying to figure out why it's red. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows. And that is the very short story of the seven gates of hell. I mean, that makes sense that they would have so many crazy stories about it because it would be really weird to like go out in the middle of the woods and see like anything mm-hmm. be closed off by any gate, but like let alone. Like a huge wrought iron fence that's red or Mm -hmm. like even a chain link fence that surrounds a mansion. Like if you stumble upon an old asylum, whether or not it actually existed, I think it would be even creepier if it theoretically didn't exist and you saw it. Right. That'd be super scary if you like happen to stumble upon like the burnt out remains of an insane asylum. Yeah. Like this is not supposed to be here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Why am I looking at it? (laughs) I was just trying to find a nice picnic spot. (laughs) I'm in danger. (laughs) It's like Ralphie on the bus. Yeah. I'm in danger. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Susan Eads, Jody Loomis, Jessica Baggin, Christy Mirak, Gwen Miller. 
What do all these women have in common? They are all murder victims whose cases went cold for decades until they were finally solved thanks to a new crime-solving technique that is changing the game, forensic genealogy. But who were these women? Why did their homicide cases remain open and unsolved for so long? Who were their killers? And what was the link between each victim and her murderer? DNA ID sets out to answer these questions. My podcast looks at the original crime, the investigative work on the case, red herrings, potential suspects, and the evidence left behind by the killer. And it then examines how each case was solved by forensic genealogy and the connection that led to the fateful interaction between victim and murderer. In many cases, I speak to the detectives who cracked the case, and they give me insight into their methods, theories, and what went on behind the scenes. Join me every other Monday for a new episode. Be sure to subscribe to DNA ID wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. So this week's podcast plug is the DNA ID podcast from Abjack Entertainment. We all hear stories almost daily now about cold cases being solved by investigative genetic genealogy. This new crime-solving tool answers the who question about those often decades-old crimes. But what about the why? This podcast will look at crimes solved by genetic genealogy and examine the connection, if any, between the victim and the killer and why the crime occurred. Each case is unique and has its own story behind the headline. And new episodes come out every other week on Mondays. Nice. It's pretty cool. Like I've listened to a few episodes of it and it's really interesting hearing like just how deep down the rabbit hole some of these cases will go with genealogy. Like they'll go in like starts and spurts where it'll be like they get to a certain point in the 90s when they tested the DNA and then they got to a certain point in the early 2000s. And then after process has improved and like narrowing down, you know, the specific whatever they use to Mm -hmm. link people together around the time that the Golden State Killer was caught, a lot of these cases are being reopened and retested because they'll go through CODIS to see if there's any matches. And then obviously they'll use genealogy type stuff to try and fill in the blanks and see if they can narrow down, you know, a closer familial connection as opposed to a connection from like six generations back. That's awesome. It's pretty cool. And this week's question comes from our friend, Mark. Hi, Mark. He says, or he asks, what's the most profound difference or change in the definition of crime over the years? Like old crime versus new crime. Hmm. It's a good question. I feel like over time, crimes have been, crimes have become way more specific mm-hmm. and more detail oriented. Cause like, you can't just be, you can't just like, arrest somebody because you think they're a witch or a werewolf. Mm -hmm. Like you have to do some other language if you think they're a witch or a werewolf. And you have to have actual like proof as opposed to just a bunch of random people's testimony. Like I saw their witch form. It was a black cat. Five young girls. Yeah. Yeah. She totally like put a hex on me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think specificity. Well, and we haven't gotten to it yet. I mean, something as simple as eavesdropping was considered a crime back in like the Middle Ages where you could be Mm -hmm. punished for that. So the types of crimes have changed too. like what is considered a crime. Like today, we wouldn't punish an animal for or take an animal to court. Yeah, we wouldn't write a cease and desist for weevils in a vineyard. Yeah. Yeah. And we wouldn't take like a dog to court for attacking a small child we'd take the owner to court for yes having the dog that attacked a small child 
So like the, the crimes have evolved as to what constitutes a crime and who should be punished for it. And you Mm -hmm. have to have more than just a hunch as far as evidence goes to prosecute somebody in a court of law or otherwise. And you can't just lynch people. Like there would always be mob, there'd be cases of like mob justice and even like duels, like we talked about with Paul a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. That'd be something where they'd just be like, well, you besmirched my honor, so I'm going to shoot at you, (laughs) you know? And if you die, that's, that's on you. So Way to die, idiot. Yeah, especially if you were in a hot air shot. balloon. Oh, man, the air balloon. That was ridiculous. That was banana sauce. I'm an intellectual, so I need to have at you on a higher plane of existence. I'm bougie as fuck. Yeah. So dumb. All right. Are you ready for your first fun fact? Yes. Okay. And not all of these are going to be crime-related. I just think they're fun. Okay. So in 2900 B.C., the Great Pyramid was built. The Great Pyramid of Giza, also known as the Pyramid of Khufu or Cheops, that's his Greek name apparently, is located on the Giza Plateau on the west bank of the Nile, some 12 miles southwest of Cairo. Until recently, it was the tallest man-made stone structure on Earth. It is a work of mystery, incorporating exceptional engineering skills and advanced knowledge of geometry, astronomy, and geodesy. It is aligned with north, south, east, and west more accurately than any other known structure. Hmm. Radiocarbon dating carried out in the 1980s suggests that the pyramid was built around 2085 to 3809 BC, but the debate over the precise date is still ongoing. It is generally accepted that the Great Pyramid was constructed during the 4th Dynasty as a tomb for the pharaoh Khufu. Archaeologists believe the architect to have been Himenio or Haman, as master of works, he would have been the highest official to serve the pharaoh. Historians believe that it took 100,000 people over 20 years to build the pyramid, working during the three months of the Nile's annual flood. That's crazy. Bananas. Pyramids just, they're captivating and they're also a little unnerving. They are. Like, how? How? Well, those, and if you think of all of the structures from, like, the Mayan Empire, too, mm-hmm. like their temples and things like that. Like, how did they do that? <laughs> right. How? How yeah. did you do that? Why? <laughs> Why and how? Why are you so much smarter than me? <laughs> I can't build shit. It's true. So uh, after that fun fact, what's something good you'd like to share? Last night, I had a going away slash birthday party for one of my friends, Sarah. And it was at uh, one of her friend's houses, and it was very well done. It was outside. There weren't a lot of us. We were well spaced out, and it was just really nice to see her and say goodbye. She's moving to Tennessee. I was going to ask, week. where is she moving to? Yeah, she's going to Tennessee next week. She said she'll be back, but it's always sad saying goodbye to somebody. So Yeah. But it was really nice. It was nice to like socialize and interact with. Some ladies I haven't I haven't met, and a few I haven't seen in like two years. <laughs> yeah, so that was very nice. Is she still going to work for Can Do remotely, or she have a new job? No, she, no she's done. She's got to get a new job. Okay. Yep. My something good is a little bit of a twofer. So Thomas and I are both trying to better ourselves physically. Mm-hmm. So we both signed up for Noom. Oh, which yeah. The millennial weight loss app. 
Yeah, I know. We're so <laughs> millennial, us elder millennials. <laughs> but I like it because it kind of changes the way you think about food. Like there's no good and bad type of food. They base it right. off of caloric density. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to kind of think about what foods are considered good as far as being able to eat a lot of them because they're low in calories. They're, they're higher. They have a higher water content versus yep. like dense calorie right. content. So that's been interesting to kind of learn that way because you can still have sweets. Mm-hmm. They're just in the red. So you can't have a lot of them. But if you're like, I really want a candy bar, you can still do that. You just need to make sure that you're eating a sufficient amount of green and yellow foods to make up for it. Okay. Or to balance it. And the app itself also includes more of like a psychological component to it as well, where it kind of goes through ways to kind of change what, how you think about food. And it tries to get you to think about what type of eater you are. Like, are you somebody who, if you see something in the break room, like a bunch of donuts, are you going to be like, I need that. And you're just going to like grab it and eat it. Or are you someone who is a stress eater or So it gets you to think about your current relationship with food and it's goal-based. So it'll ask you, you know, like, what are your goals? Do you want to just change how you think about food? Do you want to lose weight? Like, what is Mm -hmm. your, do you want to build better habits? Like, what is your goal to get out of this experience? So I like that aspect of it because it's not just like you have to eat this, you have to eat that, or you're not going to lose weight. So it's an interesting way to think about weight loss and food in general. And I've lost five pounds and I started on Wednesday. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't think that trend is going to be the same throughout the entire process. Yeah. Like it it said, it'll probably take me about eight months to reach my goal weight, which Mm -hmm. we put it in like April of next year. But that's all going to kind of depend on my exercise and stuff too. Like I don't anticipate that I'm just going to lose the weight through diet alone. And my second good thing is I stopped using Talkspace because I wasn't getting what I wanted out of it. Mm -hmm. So I started using Cerebral, which is another digital mental health app, I guess, and platform. And I had my first meeting with my therapist on Friday. And what I already really like about it is I'm I'm able to have face-to-face video chats with this person. Not just messaging. So I'm having an actual conversation with this person. I know they're paying attention to what I'm saying to them. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's something that I didn't really get with my previous therapist. Like I felt like I'd write pretty much like a dissertation about what's going on with me. And I'd get back like three sentences being like, oh, you know, stick it out. You know, like I wasn't Mm. getting. You weren't getting what you needed. Yeah, I felt like I was just something to check off on the to-do list. Oh, so Yeah, you don't want your therapy to feel like that at all. Yeah, and I tried it for a year. You know, I gave it a year mm-hmm. to see if it helped with anything. And there were a couple times where, yes, it did. But for the most part, I got nothing out of it. Yeah. So far, I think this is going to be really good for me because she's going to work with me to give me like exercises and like assignments every week. <laughs> Nice. Of things that I need to do to make sure that I'm taking action for my mental health and not just talking at her without getting anything back. You know what I mean? That's fair. Yep. So 
I'm hopeful that both of these things that I've signed up for and like committed to do will really help not just my physical health, but my mental health as well. That's awesome. Well, good for you. You should check in so we can see how your how your journey is. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. Yeah. I'm meeting with her again on Tuesday, I think. So then when we next record, I can check in about how things are going. That's awesome. Yeah. Shall we? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. You can also check out our show on YouTube. We have two different playlists. We have one that is strictly Can You Crack the Cramp Word episodes mm-hmm. and another that is everything, like the regular length episodes as well as the bonus content. I should probably make a list that's just the regular episodes too now that I'm thinking about it without <laughs> cramp words. Maybe I'll work on that Maybe in case you don't want <laughs> the cramp word stuff. We do have a P.O. box if you'd like to send us something in the mail. It's always fun to go to the P.O. box and be like, there's something there. Right. So. This is the last week for the trampoline until next year. <laughs> yep. So. Until it's nice enough. Just letting you know. Oh, yeah. No, after next week, it'll be snow. So we can't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, as soon as September starts, it's going to be like winter. Yep. In Minnesota. So you can write to us at Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota. 55092. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Thank you to the people that listened to our request for questions. We've got a really great list of questions that are coming up that I'm excited to share with Maddie. Yay! So thank you to everyone who submitted some. Obviously, you will hear them at some point as we get through them all. And you're welcome to still submit some if you like. You can also submit episode suggestions or ideas. And we haven't asked for it in a while, but if you want to send some gifts without, you know, fun things in our email, that'd be fun. Absolutely. A great way to support the show, if you can't contribute financially, is to leave a five-star rating and review. You can leave them on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Good Pods. And this one comes from Tomorrow Till the Break of Dawn from Apple Podcasts. And she says, fun and interesting show, five stars. The way Lindsay and Madison interact with each other is hilarious. It's so fun (laughs) listening to the stories they discuss while hearing their reactions to what they're sharing with us. You are guaranteed to be a little shocked by the stories, but also entertained. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Also, really cool username. (laughs) Right? Well, because she has her own podcast. So that's the the name of her podcast is Tomorrow Till the Break of Dawn. That's so cool. So if you'd like to check out her podcast, you should. Absolutely. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so with a one-time donation on Buy Me a Coffee. You could also support us with a monthly contribution on Patreon for as low as a dollar a month. That'll get you early ad-free access to all of our episodes. If you go to like the $5, $10, or $15 tiers, you'll get more benefits, obviously. Okay. You can also support us on TeePublic by purchasing some of our merch. Which is really awesome. And we have birthday month shirts that are really cool and you should probably buy them. Yep. So we have three fun new designs. It'll be four new designs by the time this episode comes out. Ooh. Ooh. Maddie and I each designed two. Yeah. You can tell which ones are mine. So please be nice about it. (laughs) (laughs) They're fun. Canva for beginners. 
Canva for professionals. <laughs> Two of these things is not like the others. <laughs> but you know what? You can make a lot of really cool stuff on Canva. I'm not going to. That's true. I'm not going to diss Canva because Absolutely. we use it a lot for pineapple pizza, for our merch. And I actually designed a fun design for my my boys over at Reddit on Wiki. Nice. Stuff, some fun stuff they shared on their podcast. So I don't know if they have it up yet, but if and when they do, they said that they will donate the proceeds of the sales to one of the nonprofit organizations of our choice. So I think I sent them, I know Can Do Canines is one of them that I suggested. And then I suggested another nonprofit that focuses on mental health. Awesome. Two things we care about. Absolutely. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.